Open up your Bibles, please, to uh, Genesis chapter 1. Please open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Let me pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on our time. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we hold your word in our hands this morning. And we pray for your blessing of that word. Lord, I pray uh, for those in our church that um, are unable to be here this morning. I pray that you'd bless them. Uh, Keep them, Lord. May they be close to you, we pray. And Lord, we pray that as your family, as we seek to worship you here now, may we give you all glory, honor, and praise that is due to your precious name. We pray all these things. In your name, amen, amen. So we this morning, we have been talking about the covenants or we began the covenants that the Lord has made with his people. We began those last week and we continue uh, the covenants this week. And as I was introducing that topic to us last week that we are gonna talk about the covenants of God, it seems like a kind of a strange topic to think about. But as we think about covenants, they are everywhere. We see covenant every time we gather on Sunday morning. We see covenant every time we open up our Bible. And we see covenant in every marriage that is displayed before us. Covenant is everywhere. And in fact, to understand the scriptures properly, we need to have a right understanding of what God's covenants are with his people. And so that's what we want to do this morning. We want to think about covenant. And when we think about God's covenant with his people, we can think about the covenant of marriage. It helps us to think about the covenant of marriage because that is a covenant that we understand. And one of the um, marriages that I was thinking about this week was the marriage of a lady called uh, Johnny Erickson Tada. And some of you may know of her and her story. She was 17 years old and she was swimming in the sea. She dived off a pier and as she dove off the pier, she had a terrible accident which basically ruined her spinal cord and made her a quadriplegic, which means she didn't, doesn't have, from the age of 17 years old, she didn't have the use of her hands and she didn't have the use of her legs. And so she was talking in a blog post about her marriage. And her marriage was with a guy called uh, Ken Tada. And in the reflecting on her marriage, basically when they got married, Ken was deciding to marry Johnny and almost basically deciding, I'm not only going to be her husband for life, but I'm also going to be her carer for life. That's what he committed to. And she reflects on her marriage saying this, During the first few years of our marriage, even though I had friends to help with my disability needs, the day-to-day demands were beginning to take a toll on Ken, that's her husband. Emptying leg bags that collect urine, charging the wheelchair batteries, lifting me in and out of bed, shopping for food and doing the dishes, Ken was feeling tremendous pressure from the 24-7 routine, and it was leading to a deep and darkening depression. And so Ken came to her after this and he said to her, I don't think I can do this anymore. And it looked like at that time he wanted to break and end the covenant. 
And then it came where her uh, pressure got worse in her disease that she has, in her disability that she has. And she says this again, one night after Ken had turned me three extra times because she had to move with the pain during the night and he had to help her move. He collapsed in exhaustion on the bed and once again, I quietly gave him space and he sighed deeply and confessed, Johnny, I am so tired. I just don't feel like I can do this. This marriage covenant that he signed up to, it was hard. And he said, I don't think I can do this. And then she responded with these words, Ken, I don't blame you one bit for feeling trapped. And if I were you, I'd feel exactly the same way. I just want you to know, I just want you to know I understand. And I'm going to do everything in my power to support you and help you. I think you're amazing. And with God's help, we can do even this. After she said those words to him, he committed his life to staying in the covenant of marriage. And with the help of Christian friends around them, they got counseling that they needed, and they have stayed committed to their marriage covenant even to this day. For Johnny Erickson Tata, things got worse. She got diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Things got even harder for them, and things are still hard in their marriage. But what have they done? They have committed for life to the covenant of marriage. They said to one another, till death do us part. That is the covenant of marriage. You're in it. If you're married, you are in it. Till death do you part. That tells us something about covenants. That when God makes his covenant with his people, those are serious covenants. You don't enter into those covenants lightly. And in the covenant of marriage, what we have is, is this picture that happens in the covenant of marriage. You have essentially four things that the covenant of marriage tells us. It tells us that covenant is relational. You enter into a covenant, you enter into it relationally. It comes with promises or responsibilities. You've said to the person, till death do us part. We have a responsibility to stay together. That is the covenant. It is, it is choice, it is responsibility, it is promises. And it also comes with a sign. And the sign for us is that sign of the wedding ring. And we see these components happen in Scripture throughout the covenants. They are relational, there is promises, there is choice, and there's often signs. And so as we look at the covenants in the Bible, we see those types of things happening in the covenant between God and His people. And the first covenant that I think we see in the Bible is the covenant between God and Adam. That is the first covenant that I think we see in the Bible, the covenant between God and Adam. And that covenant, it is relational. The first words of the covenant are this. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, 
of the heavens and over every living thing and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the beginning of the covenant because this is the beginning of creation. And when you have creation, you have what? Relationship. There is relationship that has taken place. That is quite powerful. Do you know when you create something, you have a relationship with the thing you created. When you make something, you have a relationship with that thing that you have made. When I started to think back about things that I had made, the weird thought came into my head of a song. There was a song that I created, a song that I made. I was seven years old. And guess what? I still remember the song because I created it. There's a special relationship that I have with that song. And no, I am not going to sing it to you this morning. And I'm not going to tell you what the song is, but I still remember it. Why? Because I created it. It's precious to me. When you create something, it is precious to you, isn't it? But what is more, not just in the creation of a song, but what is more is other things that I was involved in creating. My children, for example. The moment I saw my children, there was an instant relationship. Why? Because I was involved in their creation. And it was different to the song. Yes, I have a relationship with that song, but I have an intimate relationship with my children. It is amazing. That relationship is absolutely amazing in that creative sense. Why? Let me tell you. My relationship with Luana we met each other, we had to get to know each other, and then we fell in love. Your relationship with your children, what happens? Because you are part of their creation, what happens? As soon as you see them, guess what? You're in love. The relationship is established there. You don't have to get to know each other. You don't have to go out with each other. You don't have to do anything. The moment you see them, they captivate your heart. There is a relationship when creation happens. And so it is with God. When God created the world, He has a relationship with all the things in this world He created. The stars, the trees, the mountains, the sky. There is a relationship there. But He has an intimate relationship. An intimate relationship with His people. Why? Because they are the only ones in all of creation whom we are told are made in the image of God. There is relationship. And if this covenant tells us anything, it tells us this. God wants a relationship with you because God has given you breath. We live in a country that projects religion in such a way that God is always far away from me. And that I have to always do this stuff in order for me to get to God. That God is almost unreachable. And the only people that are really close to God are those guys that are standing up front, those religious looking people, the people that behave. But what this covenant tells us is that God has created us in His image so that we could have a deep and lasting relationship with Him. This is a profound covenant that is deeper than any marriage covenant you could ever think of. Now you might say to me, Shane, I see those words there, 
but I don't see the word covenant there. How can you say that that is covenant when there's not the word covenant there in those words? And you will see in the, in the first couple of chapters in the Bible, you don't have the word covenant. And in fact, there is quite a bit of debate on whether there is a covenant here or not. And I'm showing you my cards. I believe there is. And I'm not on my own here. I have in, I've benefited in these studies and in the sermon series. I've benefited from people like Stephen Wellam and Tom Schreiner and books that they have written. I've benefited from that and I've used that in our studies here. Because I think there is a covenant here. I think there is the beginning of a relationship here. And I think you don't have to have the words covenant in order for there to be a covenant. You remember the relationship with Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, up on the screen there, it says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. The man and his wife. There you have the covenant relationship of marriage in the first chapters of the Bible, but you don't have the word covenant used. The place where covenant is used is later on in the scriptures. And so it is here with the covenant of creation. You don't have the word used, but you have all those elements of covenant used. And we see later on in the scriptures, in Hosea 6 verse 7, when it's talking about the disobedience of God's people, it says this in Hosea 6 verse 7, But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with him. So there's many more things I could say in relation. I'm really, do you know what I'm doing? I'm trying to defend myself here. Um, There's many other things that you could say in relation to there being a covenant here. But the scriptures seem to be clear that Adam had broken the covenant. That Adam had broken this relationship. And with this relationship, there comes something quite profound. God's people are made in the image of God. We saw that in those verses I read to you earlier. They're made in the image of God. That's what sets us apart from all of creation. I've told you before, if you went into a house and it was on fire and you saw a bird in a cage and a baby in a cot, who are you going to rescue? You're going to rescue the baby all day long. Why? Aren't they both creation? Aren't they both beautifully and wonderfully made? Why would you choose the baby over the bird? Why? Because the baby is made in the image of God. There's something intrinsically different about the person and about the bird. We're made in the image of God. And some people would say to be made in the image of God means that we have certain responsibilities. You see, with the covenants come not only relationship, but promise and responsibilities, just like in the marriage covenant. You've said to the person, I'm going to stay with you until death do us part. There's responsibilities if there's a covenant. And so there is with God's covenant with his people. Some might say being made in the image of God means, you know, we have reason and we have morality and we have intellect or else that we have a soul. 
But being made in the image of God means that we have responsibility, ultimately. We have a responsibility to represent God. In Genesis 1.28, it says this, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds, uh, of, and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Being part of the image of God means not only that we have reason, morality, and souls, but being part of the image of God, if you look at the passage, and what it actually means is that we have a responsibility to do what? To represent God. It says there in the verse, to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over over the birds of the air. We are supposed to rule on this earth for our king. We're to be image bearers in this world. We're to represent God. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it speaks more of our responsibility in this covenant. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So not only do we have a responsibility over all of the creatures and and to run this world well, we have a responsibility to work in this world. That's part of the covenant. It It is part of our responsibility to represent God. Another part of the covenant is to obey God. In Genesis 2, verse 16, it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The responsibilities are to, in this covenant are to represent God and to obey God. And often what we forget is the positive side of this command. The positive side of this command is what? You shall surely eat of of every tree in the garden. There's an abundance for you. You can have it all. We forget the positive side of that command. But on the other side, he tells them, but of this tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And so that's part of what it means to be in this covenant, and that's part of what it means to be God's image bearers, to be made in the image of God. We are to represent God, we are to obey God, and we are to live as God's sons. I want you to notice the language of Genesis chapter 5 verse 3. Notice this language, Genesis chapter 5 verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. It's the same type of language that is used in Genesis 1. After his likeness and after his image. So that tells us something new about what it means to be made in the image of God. If we're made in the image of God, we are to represent God. If we're made in the image of God, we are to obey God. And if we're made in the image of God, we are to live in this world as God's sons. Again, there is a relationship. You know, God didn't make us because he was lonely. Oh, I guess I'm all alone. I guess I better make them. No, he made us out of love. He didn't have to make you and me. And he made us for something more, didn't he? He made us for a relationship. 
We live a lot of our lives being dissatisfied. Don't you want something more? When we're in work, we want something more. You have that feeling, I want more out of my work. When you're at home, you want something more. I want more out of this home. Even when we go on holidays, you kind of say, I want more out of this holiday. And it never gives us kind of what we want and never fully satisfied because we're made for more. We're made for a relationship with God. We're made for an intimate relationship. So then when we're not living for him and when we're not living as sons, guess what our life is going to look like? Absolutely and always dissatisfied. The more dissatisfied you are, it's probably an indication of the more you are, the way you are with God. I'm dissatisfied in my life. I'm dissatisfied with what is going on. That's an indication that you probably have a problem with your relationship with God. In this covenant, we're made in his image to represent God, to obey God, and to live as God's sons. So there is relationship. There is promises. I'm going to obey him, represent him, live as his son. There's promises. And there is choice. Will I obey him? Will I represent him? Will I live as his sons? In this covenant, there is not a sign. There will be a sign in Noah's covenant and in Abraham's covenant, but there's not exactly a sign. But there is in this covenant what is in a lot of covenants in the Bible. There is blessing and there is curse. If they represent God and obey God and live for God, there will be blessing. If Adam and Eve didn't touch the tree, they would have life with God, blessing with God, eternity with God. But if they did not follow after God, there would be curse. There would be death that would enter into the world. If you eat of this tree, God said, you will surely, surely die. So what happened in the covenant? We, we know what happened in the covenant. The serpent came and said, did God really say? Did God really say? Questions God's words, right? Now, those who, have had, who are to have dominion and rule and represent God in this world, when an animal comes to them and says, you should do something, what should they say? No, you're not in charge. God has given us charge of this world, not you. Therefore, you call me to do something, I'm going to say no. But they didn't represent God in that moment. They took from the fruit of the tree. And in taking from the fruit of the tree, what happened? They didn't get blessing, they got curse. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent is cursed, the woman is cursed, the man is cursed, and they are what? Kicked out of the garden. And that is the end of the covenant with Adam. It is a covenant of absolute failure. Failure. Great note to end on, right? No. Because this covenant tells us much more, doesn't it? There's something that this covenant tells us. 
If we are going to learn anything this morning from this covenant, I think this covenant tells us a few things. The first thing I think this covenant tells us is that people, they are valuable. This covenant has to tell us that people, they are valuable. Because all people, no matter who you are, you are made in the image of God. That means every time we see a person, we should see value. They're made in the image of God. Every person is valuable. What kind of people are valuable? Let me tell you. Do you know that the people that we don't see, they are valuable? Who are the people that we don't see? The people that we don't see are the people who are in the womb. Those people in the womb, according to this covenant, they are valuable. We live in a world that tells us that the mother and the parents tell us whether this human being in the womb is valuable. So if the mother is excited with that person that we don't see in the womb, then we start asking questions like, you know, boy or girl, or are you going to paint the room, or have you got things ready? And we start getting excited because we allow that mother tell us whether that person in the womb is valuable. But if that mother decides this person in the womb is not valuable, then we need to give her all the choices she wants. You can get rid of it if that person isn't valuable to you. So we allow, we allow the mother and other people tell us the value of a person. Human beings don't get to decide whether people are valuable or not. Who decides that? God. God created us in his image. He is the one who determines whether people are valuable or not. So then we as God's representative are to speak that message that every person is valuable whether we see them or not. So the people we don't see, they're valuable. You might say, yeah, they're valuable, Shane. But you know who else is also valuable? The people that you don't like. They're also valuable. That's what this covenant tells us. The people that you don't like right now, they're valuable. You say, Shane, you don't understand. You don't know them. If you knew them, you wouldn't like them either. Maybe. But this covenant tells us that they're made in the image of God. This covenant calls us as God's people to see even the people we don't like as valuable. We don't need to see them as perfect. Everybody in this world, we're sinners. And they may have hurt you and they may have harmed you. But we need to see the image of God even in the people we don't like, so much so that we might even pray for the people that we don't like. And that it might be our desire that those people will come to know and trust and love the Lord Jesus. This covenant tells us to love the people that we don't like. And it also tells us to love the people that we don't understand. If everybody is made in the image of God, we're to love them. And we're called to love the people that we don't understand. We live in a world, don't we, where people are really confused as to who they are. They're really confused as to their identity. We live in a world where men will identify as women and women will identify as men. And what can happen to Christians is we can demonize those people because we don't understand them. 
What are we called to do if this covenant is right? We're called to see the image of God in them. And we're called to point them back to that reality. You are valuable. You have worth. You don't need to be confused about who you are. God has made you and there is value and worth in you. This covenant tells us a lot about people we don't see, people we don't like, people we don't understand. They're all made in the image of God. And you know what's really wonderful? This covenant also tells us about the value and worth of you. Again, we live in a world where there's so much pressure to look just right, to be just right. God has made you, you. You are made in his image. And when he made you, he made no mistake. You are valuable to him. He cherishes you and he desires a relationship with you. And you may not think you're making the world's mark, but he made you. You're valuable. So this covenant tells us the people around us are valuable and that you're valuable. But this covenant also tells us a second thing. That not only are people valuable, but there are many people in this world that are cursed. Because from the moment that Adam and Eve disobeyed this command was the moment that sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, that means sin corrupted this world and it corrupted the hearts of all of humanity who were born into this world. And so what we had in our reading this morning, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it's on the screen there for you, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. This covenant tells us, yes, people are made in the image of God, But this covenant does not tell us that people are perfect. It actually tells us that people are cursed. That when Adam sinned, that sin spread to the whole world. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. It spread to all of us because all of us have sinned. Every single one here this morning whether you are a child or whether you are an adult. Children, do you know, you know, the reality is in your life, you have sin in your life, in thought and in word and in deed. This, this message about sin in the world is not just for the adults in the room, it's for the children in the room. And if we don't all here trust and believe in Jesus by faith, We are cursed by our sin. And there is a reality of eternal death and condemnation for those who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus. This covenant would tell us that. That we're all cursed. Yes, we're all made in the image of God. Beautifully and wonderfully made in the image of God. That does not change. 
But that image, because of sin, has now been distorted, which means all of us are under a curse and all of us need to be rescued. We're, we're dead in our transgressions and sins. We cannot make ourselves alive. We need the hope of the gospel. And that's where the hope of this covenant comes in. Because this covenant not only tells us that people are cursed, but this covenant tells us that people can be blessed. Because right in the curses, the last verse I will share with you this morning is Genesis 3.15. Right in the middle of when he's saying there is going, the serpent's going to be cursed, the woman's going to be cursed, and the man is going to be cursed, there is this promise in the center of this covenant relationship in Genesis 3.15 that says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is God speaking to the serpent. Do you know what Adam and Eve should have done when that serpent came? Crushed his head. When God, did God really say? No, he didn't. You're done. They should have said no. But they disobeyed. And in this covenant, there was a promise made. There is coming one. There is coming one. The Son of God. The obedient and perfect Son of God who represents God perfectly, who obeys God perfectly, who lives as God's perfect Son and who will come and crush the head of the serpent so that everyone Everyone who believes in him shall be freed from the curse and have eternal life and be blessed for eternity. That's what this covenant speaks of. It speaks of our failure, but this covenant speaks of God's faithfulness. Because you know what I'd have done with human beings? I'd have kicked them out of the garden and I'd say, see you later, I'm done with this relationship. But what God did is he said, no, I'm going to have a plan here. And I'm going to send my one and only son in my image as my perfect representative. And he's going to die the death you should have died so that you will live and that you can be restored back into relationship with me. And you can live for eternity with me in where? The brand new garden. Paradise for eternity. This covenant speaks of our unfaithfulness, but of God's mercy and grace to his people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your covenant with Adam that reminds us that we are made for relationship with you that we are made in the image of God to represent you and obey you and live as your sons. I pray, Lord, that we would see value in every human being and worth in every human being. And I pray for those in here this morning who have not trusted you, who do not know you. I pray that they put their faith and trust in you as their servant and king. 
And Lord, they will inherit this blessing of the one who has come to crush the head of the serpent. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death on the cross. Thank you that you died and that you were buried and that you rose again. Thank you that we can inherit that blessing. In your name, amen.